0: This episode is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia, the number one caffeine supplement on the market. It's used by professional athletes the world over. Water approved at $1 per serve with 100 milligrams of caffeine. It's easily the, the safest, most convenient, and tastiest caffeine supplement on the market. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. And boom, we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. So what we try and do with the podcast is to give people an insight into the characters involved in elite sport, as well as giving you an insight into what it takes to make it at the elite level. So obviously fairly rugby focused as they're the people I know, but eventually we will look to do other sports. Okay, so for t- today's episode, I sit down with Fiji and Test fly half Ben Vola Vola. So Ben and I played football together for our club in Sydney, Southern Districts, and he's come a long way since then. He's he's gone on to represent the Waratahs, the Crusaders, the Rebels, and then ultimately making his way to France and the Fijian national side. So he represented Fiji at the last two World Cups, which we talked about, as well as. He he went into some detail on some of the sacrifices that the boys have to make to represent their country, particularly during the COVID era, and and basically what it's like playing for Fiji and and living on the other side of the world. It's a great chat. I really, really enjoyed catching up with him. I hadn't seen him for a few years. and Look, uh, I I certainly enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. So without further ado... Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Ben Vola Vola. Can you hear me, brother? Got you, brother. Mate, there he is. Good to see you. You too, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you going? <coughs> yeah, good, man. Good, good, good.
1: Mate, I was just well?
0: go- I was just googling you just for like some ideas of things <coughs> to talk about, and it says you're yep. worth nineteen million dollars now. <laughs> 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 I mate, wish, so man. I the, wish the pro d 2 and played for Fiji is pretty lucrative. <laughs> no, I don't know why more people don't do it. Um, <laughs> uh, mate, so we're recording now, but just it's ha- just a chat. Just how if All you right, and so- I were at the pub or whatever, just be how we're chatting now. How, how's life in France, mate?
1: It's good, man. It's really good. I've been, um, really blessed to be a part of good teams and good clubs. Um, I'm now, for this season, in Perpignan, which is south of France. It's right next to, right next to Spain, so
0: it's a pretty the weather's good spot. always
1: good. Really good spot, man. The weather's really good. Um, you're able to go train, do your work, and then the beach, you're just surrounded by beaches, so it's like really good spot,
0: man. Has, um has COVID affected it?
1: Oh, COVID's affected it massively. Uh, our scheduling obviously has has had to, had to be changed. Uh, preparations during the week obviously ha- has to be managed differently. Um, this from now on till the end of the season, because we're heading into the playoffs. Um, simple things like having to get three COVID tests a week uh, okay. before, our, uh, before our days even start. So obvious, obviously that's different. So yeah, a lot of the dynamics have had to change.
0: Can you can you go out and about, or are they telling you guys to pretty much stay on lockdown and just sort of uh, get, get through to the final and all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, we we're able to sort of go out and stuff, but um, for a few months now, um, only essential stuff has, has been open, so your supermarkets, your pharmacies and stuff. So you're able to go out, but you can't go out without masks Uh we honestly don't remember when we were able to go out with a mask. Yeah. So, oh. and we still have it. We still have curfews and stuff. So, yeah. Two so, curfews.
0: Okay. So they tell you, so in Perpignan you got to be home by a certain hour. Is, is that?
1: Yeah. Right? So yeah. So throughout France, um, our curfew at the moment is uh, is at seven pm. So okay. everything's closed by seven. Um, everyone's everyone needs to be home by seven. Um, yeah, and I think everything opens up by the next morning.
0: Okay, so and that's pretty much. By seven. That's pretty much crippled the restaurant industry then, by the sounds of things. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think for
1: the first time in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, since last summer, uh, we're opening up again uh, tomorrow. Okay. But the but then apparently curfews are going to be extended till nine or eleven p.m.
0: Okay, so Either slowly those, yeah. starting to get back to a bit of normality. Are they having yeah, people at your think- games yet? Sorry, are they having people at your games yet?
1: <clears throat> nah, so no, no one's been able to come. Um, I think by by next week during the semi-finals, they're allowing a thousand people to attend. Okay, okay, uh, which is obviously better than nothing, and would we, love to have s- spectators at the games and stuff, but. Um, yeah, we've played with empty stadiums uh, and I think, yeah, by next week there'll be a thousand people um, able to attend.
0: So what's, because Perpignan's a pretty big club, so what's the capacity there? I assume they get pretty good crowds usually.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm guessing here, but I think the stadium here in Perpignan, Perpignan could hold maybe 15 to 20,000.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, one thousand or no people is quite quite noticeably different. Um, what about French? Have you have you learned the language yet, or are you one of those guys like Kane Dagu's, you know, can say mercy and and that's about it? (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm still struggling, but I've gotten a
1: lot better. Um, All the rugby terms and stuff, I'm able to get around with. And over the years, um, simple things like ordering something on over the phone. Yeah, Uh, or even going to a restaurant and being able to communicate and order something for yourself, I've gotten a lot better at, and I'm real comfortable with. Yeah, I think it's just um, the thing that's helped me is, uh, let's say we one of the boys has a barbecue, or we go out as a club, just just sitting around the French boys and trying to communicate with them. Yeah, they're really good in they're really good in the aspect of uh, if you make a mistake, they're like, oh no, you say it like this. Okay. like this.
0: So they're helpful. Um, they're helpful. So that sort of stereotype of the French shitting on people who speak the language the wrong way is not really your experience, um, bro. That's
1: that's very uh, realistic, actually. Especially in, <laughs> especially in Paris, out in the public. Yeah. Uh, if if you if you can't communicate in the right way, they just get, they they just get fed up with you. Yeah, right. Uh, but within the clubs itself, within the rugby clubs, they're real helpful, man. They're, 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 they're empathetic in that way. They'll yep. help you, you know, it, especially if you try to speak it, they'll they have the time and the, and the space to help you.
0: Okay, so probably more because you mates and all that sort of stuff. What about the the coaches? Do they speak French only or do they do a bit of English as well?
1: Uh, here in Perpignan, our head coach, who is French, he... He speaks um, speaks English really well, so he does both. Okay. There's a lot of clubs. A lot of clubs they just speak French. Yeah. Um. Back at racing,
0: they did both as well, but most of it's in French. Well, what was it like being at a club like Racing? Because that's one of the big. You know, you kind of being in Australia, you look at Racing Metro and go, "Fuck, that's a big club." Yeah. Was that a good experience? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a massive experience and such such a good experience. I mean, it's by far the fanciest club I've ever been to. And I think you, you can sort of get that vibe if you're watching in from the outside. I mean, you, yeah. you see the players that, are, that go through that club, uh, the results that uh, they're able to get because of the players that they have. Um, but also, something I've got to say about racing is that it's just full of good people. And I think that's why it's successful as well. Like you see, clubs that um, buy the best players but still don't get the results that they're looking for. Yeah. So it's it's testament to the the culture that they have. But I mean, mixing around with um, and playing with guys that I grew up watching, uh, like Joe Rokothoka. one oh, and he off,
0: was. Uh, so he was there. He was there when you were there.
1: Yeah, he he that was while I was there um he was yeah he was finishing off it was one of his last seasons that's crazy uh yeah and then now with the current uh the current crop of players you' speak you're speaking about boys like Finn Russell and Teddy yeah. toma uh Vakitawa and stuff so I mean if even when you're not even if you're not playing and you just mingle around mingle around these boys you're just you're learning you're learning a heap a heap about the game and just watching how they're just normal people away from the game as well.
0: Mate, when you said, when you said fancy, like it's one of the fanciest clubs you've ever been to, what, what do you mean? Is it like oh, the so, behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, so well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a, re- a really simple dude. And you, you know this about me. So, I, like, for example, I get to the club, the car's already waiting there and all the boys because they're sponsored by Toyota. Um, and for me, I was like, oh, so there's a car. They organize your accommodation and it's so professional. Um, lunch is provided. Um, you rock up to training every day. Uh, simple things like your washing's done, folded in front of your locker, ready to go for that day. So for me, I'm just like, oh, this is unbelievable.
0: So it's, it's legitimately a professional club.
1: Yeah, very professional, man. And everything they that, that they do, um, they strive to even get better than that every year, which is which is amazing. And I mean, it's just a testament to the results that they get every year as well.
0: Mate, do you have you ever watched those all or nothing documentaries where they go behind the NFL and like some soccer clubs? Did you ever see yeah. those? And you yeah, look at yeah, them and yeah. go, that's like legit professional sport and compared to like i've only had a couple of professional rugby experiences but they weren't like that and that kind of sounds like what you had at racing yeah
1: 100% 100% it's like that yeah
0: so let's go back to <clears throat> let's go back to when you left sydney how, how did you end up getting a start in professional rugby
1: so i was playing at south uh south districts and then uh, i think it would have been the year we made the final Yeah, first grade, we played, we played uni. Uh, And I got a call um, from Michael Cech. And he said that he was wanting, he had one more spot in the professional, uh, in the professional team. And there were three guys that he's been watching um, that he wanted to sort of trial out during the off season. Um, I was able to, I was lucky enough to get, get that spot. And then it all started from there. I spent three years with the Tars. Um, and then after the three years in 2015, at, yeah, at the end of 2015, I was in talks with John Mckee, who was coaching uh, the Fiji national side at, at the time, um, and also with Tavai Matson, who was at the Crusaders at the time. Okay. Um, and that's yeah, and that that's how it all worked out. And when I first left left Sydney, so.
0: Talk about talk about your TARS experience. What what ended up happening there? Did you did you play many games? Um, I've actually played I, I played a
1: few in my rookie year.
0: Yeah.
1: And then um, the, the last two years, I didn't get um, I didn't see a minute of super rugby. And I mean, <clears throat> although at the time it was it was draining and really disappointing, um, as a young guy, not really understanding um why i didn't make the team but also it was it was a time where i needed to grow as well and needed to hold space for not just myself but my teammates as well i couldn't be i couldn't be selfish if i wanted the team to to succeed um and i think that's when um personal development for myself started to begin and instead of um really just having a, a negative attitude and not putting in 100% at training, I was determined to help the boys who were playing um, to become better, but also to be prepped for the games each week. And I think it was a testament to all the boys, you know, like a lot of boys during the uh, two years I I wasn't playing, there were there were all the fel- fel- fellow teammates who were right next to me who weren't playing that much that year, uh, those years either. Um, but yet they put their heads down and would prep the team really well um, and I think it was testament to uh, when the boys were able to go go forward and, and win the championship the super rugby title against the Satyrs that year were
0: you, um, you, you were in the squad that year yeah I was in the squad that year yeah um, what was that ex- was what was that experience like uh, being part it of was that? unreal
1: Un- it was unreal unreal and I think honestly the something that helped too was being able to Um, to go back to club footy and to join you boys at South. And we were successful that year as well. And um, having that positive energy coming out from my club team and then going to the TARS really helped me in a lot of ways. Um, But our team was, we were were stacked that year. We had had Izzy playing really well. We had uh, Robbie who was killing it that year. Uh, Foley k b like you just watched you saw the back line and then you looked at, to the pack that we had it was just so dominant that year and it was so cool to be to be a part of that squad you know and I think I learned a lot I learned a lot more in the two years than i in the year that i was i was playing regularly
0: okay that's a good man that's yeah. a good way of, it? Talk, talk me through walking into the crusaders for the first time <clears throat> um that was that was an amazing experience.
1: Here's a like growing up in Fiji, here's a team that I watched, you know, religiously. Um, and my favorite childhood player was was Dan Carter. So I would watch him and just have my eyes on him the entire the, the games that he played that I watched. <clears throat> and then first even speaking to them and hearing that they were keen to me, uh, keen for me to jump on board was.
0: How did that come about? Unbelievable. How did that come about, by the
1: way? So when I spoke to Tabai Matson, he was saying that they had remembered me from my rookie year. And the last trial match that we played was against the Crusaders um, over in Sydney. <clears throat> and um, they said that they had remembered me from, from that trial and just sort of uh, kept their eyes on me over the over the three years. Uh, and then when they had found out that i I was no longer to, I was no longer at the Tars, they were they came knocking on the door and just wanted to see if I was if I was keen to head over. That's amazing. Was, really.
0: That's amazing. Just unreal, unreal. but yeah. there's a yeah, probably getting an insider's perspective. There's there's a reason they've been one of the most successful rugby teams ever. You know, when you hear stuff like that, what about was DC there when you were there?
1: No, he wasn't there. He had left. But um, Richie
0: McCall, Kieran Reid, all those guys were so still playing. Richie had
1: retired. Yeah. Um, so I was w- he wasn't there when I was there. But K- uh, yeah, K- Kieran was there. Um, obviously Sammy Whitlock's still playing. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm was still there. Yeah. yeah. Matt Cro yeah, Crotty was there. So, yeah, so a lot of the boys were still there. Mate,
0: what, what about the the footy difference? Can you can you recall like coming from the Tars program, like your only professional rugby experience, and then noticing any differences with the Crusaders in terms of the rugby side of things?
1: Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing that 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 stuck with me, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget it for as long as I play rugby, is <coughs> um, they teach us to fail on the field, so. Um, for example there were there were two scenarios pretty identical that um, that I experienced on the training field and one of the times it was a it was a it was a 15 on 15 drill there was a, I was on the edge and there was a 2 on 1 and I sort of tried to quickly flick it to the winger but it it sort of went behind him roll and rolled out and then a few minutes later we, the, the drill continued and almost identical, the identical situation had arose again. But remembering what I just did, I sort of dummied and, and went. And after training, coach came up to me, who was uh, black out at the time, and he and he saw, he was he was just telling me, if there's a two on one, if there's an opportunity, I don't I I don't I don't care how you get it to the winger. If you throw it behind your head, between your legs, just as long as you try to get it there. I'm happy with that. And if you make a mistake and if the situation arises again, if there's an opportunity, I want you to take it. So with me, the mentality of pushing the boundaries changed. Um, I I felt like I came from a system where not to take it, not to take too many risks, just to hold the ball and build another phase and an opportunity will arise then rather than if the opportunity is there now, Take it and do whatever you can to take it, that's, and that's very strange, rugby. The the <laughs> safe, the next phase, yeah. do the next phase, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that 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 blew my mind. And uh, if you, as you can imagine, um, that just helped me with my confidence and internally was just like, there's an opportunity. I can just take it and do what I need to do. Um, as long as the, as long as it's the right way i know the coach is going to back me rather than being afraid that my head might be might be torn apart because i've tried to flick pass and it's, it's it's gone wrong you know like yeah so that my my mentality had changed straight away and that was that was that was awesome for me
0: how many how many years were you there i was there i was just i was there just the one year okay mate i i reckon mm-hmm. um... Just even that mind, that simple mindset thing says a lot about the differences between Australian and New Zealand rugby. I think it's slowly shifting, but that that really does explain a lot, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you see you see it in the way the New Zealand teams play. Um you wonder why they play with so much flair, why um number one to number 23 are all so skillful. And they try things on the footy field under the pressure because they, they probably know that their coaches back them to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I will, I will never forget that I've been taught to, even, even if it was just the one year that I was taught to fail and just continue to push the boundaries. And the longer you continue to push the boundaries, they will start coming off, you know, and um, good things will start happening on the footy field.
0: Mate, I've I've um, I'm trying to get Mikey Alatoa on the podcast, the great man. And I was, you know, I was talking to Kieran Reid about this, and you know, Mikey got uh, let go by the Tars and then has gone to New Zealand, ended up at the Crusaders, and is, you know, I think I've said it three or four times now, but is one of the very best props in the world. And oh, yeah. man, I just love to know what happens in the doors there. That I mean, even like a Nemanja Ndolo, um, a Pete Samu. You know they've gone over there and become world class players, and they've kind of rejected here in a sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So, how did the Fijian stuff come about?
1: Um. So it's the the same, the exact same time the whole Crusaders thing was happening. Uh, John John McKee was watching me uh, play for play for sales. <clears throat> Was he? And. He, yeah, he was. He came to our games most mostly for the Eastwood games, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he kept he kept in contact with me and um, sort of just shared with me his interest with getting me to to join the squad, um, what my desires were in regard to uh, the international game, and yeah, just thankfully they had also conversed with the Crusaders because. <clears throat> Obviously, when you go to New Zealand, they try their best to to um, to build their boys to play for pl- play for New Zealand. Yeah, um, and I was just so thankful that both New Zealand, the NZRU Crusaders, and FIU were able to work something out in regard to me being able to go join the Crusaders, but also if I wanted to pledge my alliance with Fiji to go and do that also. So that's how it all worked out, yeah.
0: What was it like playing for Fiji for the first time?
1: It was really emotional and it was unreal. Um, Growing up in Sydney, obviously, wanting to be a rugby player, you aspire to become a wallaby. And like I I grew up, the the first eight, nine years of my life was in Fiji. So at the time, um, I wanted to play sevens for Fiji. Like as a kid, it's always your heroes play sevens. Uh, that's, that's all you know. You know the seven boys. Then transitioning and moving over to, to Sydney um, are surrounded by gold and the sky blue, the warzars. So growing up in then now and then playing junior rugby in Sydney, I, I was aspiring to, if, if I could become a Wallaby, That'd probably be a dream come true sort of thing. Yeah. Um, fast forward to to me seeing the national anthem for Fiji, wearing the white jersey, and just my first game was in Fiji. Just seeing family that I knew um, didn't have the means to travel and to watch me play when while I was in Sydney. So to see this side of my family in Fiji in the crowd, it was just. It, it 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 blew the expectations that I had away. You know, like uh, to be able to represent not just my family but uh, my people also. Now looking back on it now, I would I wouldn't change a thing. It was uh, it was an unreal experience, and every time I I put that white jersey on, it's almost like I'm putting it on for the first time. That that feeling never goes away.
0: How many how many tests have you played now?
1: Oh. I wouldn't know, man. Uh, 20 or
0: something, maybe? Maybe maybe low 30s. So who, who was the first game against?
1: First game was uh, against New Zealand, Mori.
0: And oh, wow. I started on the bench. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I started, I started on the bench. Um, that was played in Fiji. And then my first start was, I think it was the next game
0: against Samoa. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. So you went to you, you played at the 2015 World Cup and the 2019 World Cup. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mate, tell, me, tell me about those experiences. Can you recall anything that sticks out in your mind? <laughs>
1: yeah, I've uh, shared this with a few few of the boys. My um, most nerve-wracking experience was the opening game for the 2015 World Cup. No, it's right, so against England. All right. And we we were opening the World Cup, and I remember vividly um, our captain our captain Gera. He comes in. He's just come back from the uh, doing the coin toss, and he tells me we're kicking off and we're we're going this way. And this is remember the strategy. I'm sort of nodding my head, and that moment my heart just dropped, man. And so anyway, we run out. We sing the national anthem we do our war cry and I'm there holding the ball and I can barely hold the ball still. There's about 80, 80 odd thousand in the, in the stands. It was loud. You could just feel the electricity, the energy. It was unreal. But that experience, um, like I shared with you before going from not playing top club rugby with Tars, and then, representing Fiji in the World Cup, that, that World Cup made me fall in love with the game again. Like that whole experience was unreal. Then you fast forward to Japan and that was just another, nothing, another massive experience. I've, I've seen that you've spoken with some of the boys over in Japan and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they're loving it there, because I loved it there. It was, the culture's unbelievable, the people are great. I love Japanese food, it's just unreal.
0: I think uh, I think COVID's messed it up a little bit, but what about Josh? Told me cousin Josh. Shout out to the great man who I love. Yeah, it um, was a lot playing against Australia. I got to ask you.
1: That was
0: uh, that was that was special
1: for me, um, and I I hold a lot of respect for Czech because he 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 helped start my career and. When I first played the Wallabies for the first time, uh, when I played the Wallabies for the first time, it was in the 2015 World Cup, and I, I think, I think it was the second game if I if I remember correctly in in our World Cup campaign, um, and that was special playing playing against uh, playing against your mates and fast forward to 2019 World Cup, now some of my best mates are in there. Um, it's always a great experience because it's like I'm representing home, but playing against my home country as well. Yeah. Um, and that's evident with, when I look over to the other side, who are, who are in those gold jerseys? Boys I've yeah. grown up with. You knew a lot guys of them. I used to play against them with. Yeah. So that whole experience is, um, is special whenever I get to get to play against the Wallabies and um, always look forward to, to playing in that game.
0: And I... I follow a few of the Fijian boys on Instagram and it looks like whenever the boys come together, it's such a special um, experience for, for lack of a better word. Like it, it means a lot yeah. to, for the boys to play for Fiji. What about, what about some of the sacrifices that the guys have to make? I mean, obviously, you know, Fiji is a small country. It's, you're probably not going to get the same salary to play for Fiji as you would to play for England. Um, but it seems like a lot of guys still do it. Is there sacrifices that people make to play for Fiji? Yeah, massively,
1: massively. Especially boys who choose to play here in the, um, in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you're, 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 t- you're taking boys away from what they're used to in regard to seeing their families every day. Um, and then now you lay on top of that, the whole COVID situation. Boys here uh, will have to go from seeing their families one, two, three years at a time before they're able to go home because of uh, the scheduling over here. Linking that up with uh, the internet, international scheduling, and then be, then being eligible to play within um, those tournaments, uh, it's a yeah, it's a massive sacrifice. You, you can only you can only imagine. Uh, guys who who, li- who lived within small villages within Fiji all of a sudden being taken out of that into a whole new situation a culture that doesn't speak the the language that they speak or even the second chosen language which is English uh, that they're comfortable with and having to adapt with that um, yeah th- there's there's massive sacrifices that the boys have have to have to make. And and I think whenever you see us come back, come together, um, they they can just be themselves again. Like here are boys who are separated around Europe, even down in New Zealand and in Australia. And all of a sudden you put us together and it's home away from home. Yeah. you're speaking you're, you're, you're speaking your natural tongue. Um it, you're, 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 the jokes that you're throwing around, uh um, like ev- everyone sort of knows and and can relate to. Uh so and then I think you see it on the field when we play together. You just we can just freely express ourselves in a way that I think uh May make, make make that could be different within our separate clubs.
0: I so, yeah, it's really hard. In your opinion, why are there so many good rugby players that come from Fiji? Uh, I
1: think I think it's the most natural thing that we know, uh, we know to do, you know, and I think it's the one avenue. And you're you could testify to this <clears throat> naturally, Fijian boys are. Uh, predominantly shy we're introverted and uh, we keep to ourselves but rugby is the one avenue where we can express ourselves express ourselves freely without any judgment and I think that is that empowers the boys and the girls so much and it's for the for the for the entire time we hold the rugby ball or we're playing the game we're not thinking about what others might think we're just expressing and doing what we what we feel naturally. Yeah. I think that's why.
0: Okay. But that, that's a good reason. Because everywhere you go in the world, there's always Fijian rugby players who are awesome. And often they yeah. play in the wing. So that was my next question. Why are there so many wingers that are Fijian? I mean, even Josh thinks he's <laughs> <is> the wing. <winner. laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: I think it's because of the sevens, the sevens game and the yeah. influence that that holds back home, you know. Uh, you come back from school, I mean. You wake up, you go to school. You're playing. you either playing touch or you're playing sevens. You come back from school and you're playing touch footy on the road or on some grass patch that you can find it. Uh, you can find at home. So um, you would have seen videos even in during the cyclones or after the cyclones that Fiji experience, You see kids and people within their villages playing in the mud and they're playing sevens or playing touch and I think they just, that, that develops a, a skill set where you just get the ball and you run. And I think in my personal opinion, <clears throat> our boys make great wingers because they just have to get the ball and they run. You know, they, they, don't, have to make, they don't have to make too many decisions. They can just express themselves freely like they do at home.
0: I mean, it must be nice for you when you're playing to look outside of you and see Namani Nadolo on the wing. Oh, no. I'm glad he's not on your turn. glad he's not on the opposition.
1: Not just him either. It's just the whole backline. There are times, honestly, at training where I just will do a unit session and I just sort of tilt my head to the side and really take in who's there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: it is unreal. Like the amount of talent that uh, are that, that is within our within our squad.
0: Mate, what about? I, was, I meant to ask you this: What about like preparation for a World Cup? So a lot of countries yeah. will get a big training block, obviously, because most Aussie players are based in Australia, same in New Zealand. What did you? What do you? What did you guys do for the two World Cups that you were involved in? For
1: the World Cup years, our preparations, <clears throat> um, our, our, our preparations, good. Uh, we have um a similar block to every other uh, national side i think i think it may be two months worth of prep with it games as well and okay, okay so you uh, you're together
0: for a long period of time it's not just two weeks before the world cup you're thrown together do a bit of training no so it's no, serious, no, no. serious prep everyone's together for the whole time
1: yeah but what I, what i will say that, that 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 sort of prep is not is not consistent yearly so yeah. it, it would probably only happen in a World Cup year. I think the advantages that um, T1 Nations have is that they would have these camps, these, their preparations would be consistent in that way, yeah. you know, where they would have these, these, these time periods where a lot of, if not all of their players, are playing within the national competition, and therefore they can hold camps um, when, when they would like. Yeah, and their sense. players, and their players have um, they have the time because of the way the scheduling um, is programmed to make those camps. That
0: makes sense. And obviously, um,
1: and obviously, obviously, you you stack that over a few years. By the time you get to the World Cup, you you
0: you're well underway. the way. Yeah, and you've done a huge body of work as opposed to someone that's only really trained on your own and thrown together for three months. It makes yeah, yeah, completely makes sense. Um, how how are the European clubs when it comes to releasing guys for national duty?
1: First, I can only speak from my um, from my own experience, and like I said at the start, I've been really blessed with with great clubs, and they they hold space for um, my ma- my national duties with Fiji. Uh, so they. Leading into the national series, where for us it'd be in November, and June, July. <clears throat> As that time period um, draws closer, the coaches would, o- would obviously come and speak to us, ask us how we're doing. Uh, and from there, organize a time frame where uh, the period of time I'll be away, and then <clears throat> the time I need to return to begin training again, uh, with the club. So okay. I, I really haven't, I really haven't had, um, yeah, any dramas regarding that. Oh, but obviously there's stories that, that roam around regarding issues with that. And that's, that's really unfortunate.
0: Maybe yeah, I mean, you can only go off what you've experienced yourself. Well, what about, yeah. so after you left the Crusaders, let's go back to some club footy. Where was your next club that you went to?
1: Was it racing? Uh, no, it was it was rebels. I went to the
0: rebels for a year. Okay. How did you find that experience?
1: Yeah, it was I mean it was a...
0: it was a challenging ben, Benny. <laughs> it
1: was it was a it was a challenging experience because uh, we weren't doing very well that year. And I yep. mean, um, in any team that you're not doing well in is a challenging is a challenging challenging experience. Um, and I mean the whole style of pride... that Play that I had really enjoyed over in Christchurch had then changed again coming back to, to Australia yeah. playing in Melbourne. So it was and it was during the time where the, the association were were sort of iffing ifing and in regard to who are going to release. Is it going to be the force or is it going to be the rebels? It was during oh, that. Year. okay.
0: That, so that would have pulled a whole heap of. Bullshit on top of
1: that as so, well. yeah. Yeah. So the it just we didn't want it to, but it did have a little bit of an influence in regard to the effect it had on the club.
0: Yeah.
1: Um but the boy the boys within the club at the time, they were awesome. Just how the the leadership had taken care of the, the whole situation, how they allowed us to focus on our rugby. Um, it was it was a really challenging time, really tra- really challenging time.
0: Yeah, I talked to a few guys through that period who are kind of you know not that they lost rug- rugby lost them after that, but they started to think about it in a different way. If that makes sense. What, yeah. what about from, what about from there? So you did you go immediately to France after there? So
1: after that year, I had spoken to my I had I had spoken to my management team and. I wanted to go back to New Zealand because I wanted to, you know, enjoy it again because I felt like I had a really challenging year. Um, so then I I went and played in the MIDA Ten Cup for North Harbour. Okay. And then and then from there I came to France, and there was a um, there was a a medical Joker spot that was available in Bordeaux. So I spent five about five, six months there before signing with racing.
0: So, and you've, your whole France experience you've, you've enjoyed?
1: Yeah. Um, it's sort of been, so I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the whole, uh, North Harbour, um, season. That was, that was an unreal season. We we did really well there. And then coming to Bordeaux, that was another challenging experience for me personally, because, um, I was, I was thrown into the team and in my position, having to, you know, communicate in French and stuff, I just felt like I was drowning. Yeah. Um, and rather than freely expressing myself and playing my natural game, um, I was caught up in trying to play the style that they wanted to play here rather than... Um, add my sort of bit to the style that they wanted to play, you know, and having that proactive mentality. Uh, So that experience, I mean, it was a great experience. It it taught me how the French like to play, um, how they were wanting to play and how I think as uh, more importantly, how they, how they like to communicate. And in my position, if you, if you, if you learn how to communicate to um the french is in a respectful way you get a lot you get a long way with them you'll go along with them so yeah that was Was a good experience
0: i didn't ask you what was it like living in paris
1: yeah it's uh it's living in paris is is an experience for itself it's it's i mean it's a quick lifestyle like like sydney is um but it's just a such it's such a cool city it's so cool um before, obviously, before this whole pandemic, you see, like people are sitting outside in the restaurants. It's if, if it's a good day, even a winter's day, it could be eleven degrees in the morning, and people are sipping on their coffees or their white wines and just enjoying life. You know, like in the in the morning, <laughs> in the mornings, yeah, we're talking like eleven o'clock in the morning. White wine, just just white wine or their coffees, and they're just you know they're just so. They're so chilled. Like, life becomes, life comes before work, you know? Yeah. And if they're not enjoying life, then what's the point? That's sort of their mentality.
0: And Man, Paris spent, is
1: just such a, such a cool city.
0: I, I, I spent a very brief period playing rugby in Italy until I got fired. But we used to, go to, uh, <laughs> we used to go to a captain's run on a Friday at about 11 in the morning. And I would always stop off in this coffee shop for a double espresso at about 10, 30. One day I yep. pulled up and there's an ambulance that's just pulled in. All four of the workers get out, they they're in the coffee shop, open a bottle of white prosecco or prosecco and start drinking at like 10 30 in the morning while they <laughs> work. <laughs> right. That's how that's what it's like, man. <laughs> Could you imagine that in Sydney?
1: Oh it's so different. It's just like it's so cool. The the differences within the within the cultures, you know, and um I mean the the infrastructure itself. If you if you go around Paris, it's just unreal. I,
0: I like the European way of life. Like they know how to live. Yeah. I, th- I think we're a bit too work orientated in Sydney. I think if they've got the balance, probably a bit more right than we do. Um, yeah. what about what about after forty, bro? Have you got any plans of what you're going to do next once you finish yeah, playing? I've,
1: yeah, I've um sort of just trying to have all these different tools. Placed in my back pocket, you know. So, uh, I've done my my coaching certificate. I just I just have to complete my second one. Is that um, something that interests you? Coaching? Yeah, it's it's some. Yeah, I've I've spoken to a to a few people about it, and um, ever since planting that seed within within myself in regard to the coaching, it's it's weird now because um, sometimes I think. Um, how would I do this as a coach while I'm training? You know what I mean? And it's, it's just weird. It's just subconscious. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I'm also trying to like not de- note down the positives and the negatives, you know? Like uh, I'm also a guy that wants to have a family, spend a lot of time with them, you know? And yeah. uh, from my own experiences as a player, looking in um, within my coaches, coaching takes a lot of time. And I mean, if you, really, if you do really well, um are you're, you're needed to travel as well which takes more time away um so i mean i guess that's a negative if you're wanting to have a family and build a family in the home i guess um yeah i have i have that i have also um I, I i've also wanted to do um personal training as well so i've got my certificates in that and done um, business courses here and there. Yeah. So, just really trying to, I guess, open a couple of doors, see if I'd like them while I'm playing, you know, and so that by the time that I'm finished, I will know, and I, I will know, I will know
0: for sure, and that that tra- transition will be be smooth. Do you think you'll you'll stay over in Europe for a bit, just enjoy tramage or whatever it's called?
1: yeah i'm not that's a that's a that's another good um that's another good reason to stay i mean a lot of players do it yeah. um but long term i mean my my club my club, the club contract ends by the time the world cup um re- returns in two thousand and twenty three okay um so long term i'm just thinking about 2023 world cup and from there, I'll have to obviously jot down new, uh, new goals and what I would want to do, stay in France, maybe go elsewhere, uh, so on and so forth. But for right now, it's after this season, really hopefully helping this team get promoted to the top 14 um, yeah. and then returning back to racing next season for another two years into the World so, Cup. So.
0: So, you're, so, sorry, so you're back at racing Metro next year? Next
1: year, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So this is so you got one year of Perpignan, and then you're back to racing until the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Mate, yeah. now, how good would winning a World Cup be for Fiji? Well, oh,
1: <laughs> I, I, I think I think Fiji would, would celebrate for an entire year before <laughs> we were to win a World Cup. But I mean, the the belief that for the last few years, the belief that's been built within our squad is has been unbelievable, and I think you can see. Um, boys in their respective teams their club teams really playing pivotal parts within their own teams and growing to become world-class players not just in the back line but within the within the pack as well I think if we if we can just pull the right strings um, bring together the, the right combinations and sort of lucks on our way as well like we, we believe anything can happen as well so
0: I reckon that would be I a
1: It would be unreal. It would be
0: unreal. um, I I actually, um, I was at the Hong Kong Sevens in 2015 when Fiji won the tournament. That was the first time in a while. And the place was insane. And I could only imagine how much more insane that would be after a World Cup Sevens or the Olympic gold medal or or something like that. Mate, I I won't keep you too much longer, mate. This has been... This has been unreal. I have to ask, what was it like moving out of home for the first time? Did you did you struggle with that? Because I know you're very family-orientated, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're sort of out into the world. Was that something that you found difficult?
1: To be honest, I, was, I really enjoyed it because I moved in. Um, I knew Pete Samu from, obviously, Randwick days when he played for Randwick and um, away from footy. I knew, I knew him and a couple of the um, Samoan boys that also played for, for Randwick. So I knew Pete, and he, he, was, he had been in New Zealand playing for Tasman for a few years by that time I joined the Crusaders. And we were at the Crusaders at the same time. So I moved in with him and one of the other boys, um, Davey. And that whole experience was, was just so much fun, you know? Like, I, I embraced the whole idea of moving out. I mean, for the first time, um, like my entire life, I was, I was, it was just me and mum, you know. So she's been a single mum the entire time I've been, I've been with her, obviously. And uh, then it was myself, my brother, and her. So then to to have, even though it was a drastic change, it was a good change for me. So I'm, I'm living a life where I go to training and I'm coming home with friends. Yeah, go to training with the same mates. And we were spending our entire lives together. It was such a good experience, man. And obviously, like I said before, that whole crew at the Crusaders is so close. And what you see on the field mirrors the, the, the relationships they have off it. I think that's why they do well. Yeah. Because um, they, they genuinely love each other. So that whole experience was so smooth for me. I could Are just you? only imagine. Sorry, sorry, bro. I can just only yeah. imagine boys who have to, who have to go directly. If it's their first experience, and a lot of the Fijian boys are like this, going straight from their homes over here to the northern hemisphere. So, like you're literally going to the other side of the world, and that's your first experience of moving away from home. That that would be that would be really tough, I reckon.
0: Particularly if it was in like a lower level French club that didn't really look after guys, and you know, not like a racing who turn up and do your washing. <clears throat> You know. oh, exactly. there's actually, yeah, there's actually there was like a TV movie that they made about this Fijian kid that went to play like pro, not pro to like Fed Two or something like that. You know, sending oh, right. all his money. It looked pretty tough. Um, mate, a couple more questions and I'll leave you alone, mate. This has been awesome. Yeah, you, you've you've always had such a positive attitude. Like even just listening to you now, like you know through your experiences of like the TARS, the Rebels, the Crusaders, I mean, obviously good experiences, but there were some downsides as well. But you're, you're only talking about the positive side of it. Have you always had that? Or is that something that you've sort of worked on as you've gotten older? Um, <clears throat> quite, it's, a deep, quite a deep question.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's good. <laughs> um, no, it was, it's honestly, um, it's, on, it's honestly because of my family. And a lot of, a lot of a lot had to do with it. a lot had to do with the way my um, my mum raised me and our faith as well, which got me through it. Um, she she's the sort of she she's a woman that has experienced a lot within her life, respectively, and um, through her, her experiences, I I think she was able to raise two boys uh, the best that she could because of the past that she had. And I think I'm so thankful for that. And I didn't really understand that until obviously I grew up and sort of understood that later. Um, and despite her, her downfalls or her challenges, she was able to still come through for, for the two of us. And I think she shared that with myself and, and Milan. Yeah. And I mean, the challenges that i face faced personally, um, are minuscule compared to the challenges that she faced as, as a young woman going getting into adulthood. Um, so yeah, I think that's been implanted within me ever since I grew up. And obviously, there were times where I wasn't all positive, you know. And um, there were there were dark times in certain points in my life, but uh, that that that'd be credit to the way my mom brought us up and the way our family brought us up.
0: Mate, that's awesome. That's awesome. One, yeah. one more question, my friend. Um, what advice would you give eighteen-year-old Ben Volavola? <clears throat> Ifen, um, just, just to be yourself. You know,
1: don't don't try to mimic or be anyone else. Believe that you have what it takes, um, and that your hard work will pay off. Because I think trying to be someone else or mimic someone else is where you get into trouble. Understand and know that you're unique in your way, and that your hard work will pay off,
0: mate. Um, that is, could be the best advice you can give anyone. Um, what was that saying I got told the other day? In a world where everyone's trying to be something else, the only real way to stand out is to be yourself because you're the only.
1: Hundred
0: percent. And um, it took me till I was thirty three to learn that. So you're way ahead of me, my friend. Actually, I lied, I lied to you. One last question. Joshua yep. Negera. Let's throw him under the bus just a little
1: bit. <laughs> yeah. Any good Josh oh,
0: stories you could share with me? Oh bro. I mean he can't be I as know. perfect I, as he seems.
1: Bro, that'd be that'd be over a few beers, I reckon, with you, bro. I don't know if it'd be appropriate. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be appropriate to share them now, man. There's I don't know we've we've had I grew up, I grew up with Josh. I mean Josh has um He's got five brothers. So growing up in Fiji, like I said before, my brother and I, including them, there's seven boys. And a lot of the time, seven boys in our household, in one household, was so much fun for us as kids. But I can only imagine it was just draining for our for his mom, my auntie, and his his dad, my uncle. And obviously, obviously when mom had to look after us. Could be would have been so draining. But man, those childhood memories are. Uh, is I think he just built the foundation to why I'm I'm really grateful for what I have now, and um, Josh is obviously paving his own way now in Sydney, and we're just so so thankful that he's there now. And yeah, those are uh, those stories. I reckon, bro. When I get to Sydney, I'll be sharing with
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I love that guy. I love that guy. He's such a good bloke. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Honestly, he's helped me out of some <laughs> some stuff lately, and uh, you know. I don't have a bad word to say about him, but I was hoping that you would. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a good, he's,
1: he's a good, he's a good man. He's a good man, but he's uh, he's had some faults. <laughs> nice
0: way I say it, babe. This is awesome. Uh, honestly, the best part of doing this podcast is I get to it's a good excuse to talk to my old friends all over the world. So, thank you so much, man. No worries, bro. Thank you, man. Um, I'm very happy for you. And how well are you going? It's awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you, brother.
0: Thank you, bro. And I, so good that you're
1: starting to, I mean, you've got connections to, you know, get in touch with a lot of the boys now playing around the world. So it takes off and does really well.
0: Thank you, mate. It's well, look, worst case scenario, I just talked to you for an hour and it was pretty fun. So, you know, we've we've actually got a 10 year reunion. So you were part of the second grade grand final win. Yeah. yeah, so it was 10 10 year reunion at the end of the year. So I, oh that
1: would I be know. unreal. I know. It's a couple I think, of, Rowan,
0: uh, I think Ro- Rowan's in Sydney now, is he? Yeah, he's playing for East the fucker. So I think I think they're <laughs> paying him pretty ni- I think they're paying him pretty nicely. So hopefully yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> mate, it feels it feels like yesterday. So when was that? That was 2011 And that that goal you kicked at Sydney Uni, I still remember where I was standing on the ground that day, thinking there's no way he's kicking this goal because I don't think you'd hit one all day. And I've gone, there's no way. And then you've nailed it. I just remember all the lunatics running on. Oh,
1: man. when, um, when When he called the penalty, I just looked at the boys and they just looked spent. And I think... I think uh, Bari at the time was yelling to go for touch. Yeah. And I was just like, man, I don't know, because the poison. So I just sort of pointed to the goalpost, knowing that I had never kicked that far before. <laughs> oh, yeah. But when I went over, man, the, the feeling to beat Sydney Uni for the first time at Sydney Uni and just the occasion and everything was unreal.
0: Mate, I remember exactly where I was standing. I was on the other side of the field at the old ground and I was—I played 80 minutes, which is very rare for me. And I've looked and I'm going, there is, there is no way in fuck he's kicking this. There's no way. And then when, when you kicked it and everyone ran over to you, I just stood there because I had nothing left. I just stood there and soaked it all in. And, you know, I, I know you've got a lot of good memories in your rugby career, but that is up there for me, mate. That was as good as anything I've had in rugby
1: yeah it's still it's still one of my most cherished um rugby memories just like the occasion um going into that going into that semi final as well i don't think anyone backed back backed our club to get get into the get into the final you know because we're playing sydney uni at sydney uni it's the semi final game they had been in nine or ten pre priv- nine ten ten nine or ten ten grand finals in a row or something before that. So the the way it happened and just the crew that we had at the time was just unreal.
0: Man, it was a it was a special time. I you know I I think I think I enjoyed it at the, at the time, but as you get older, you look back and you go, oh, I wish I'd enjoyed that even more. If that makes sense, because that was a special um, time.
1: Oh, exactly the same, bro. Oh, exactly the same.
0: Mate, um, some of the old lunatics, there's not one person from that team apart from you and Rowe and still playing, I think. I think. Oh, really? Yeah, has retired. Nearly everyone's retired. I think oh, Steve know wow. oh, Metsch, Mets is still playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it feels like yesterday, but it also feels like another lifetime ago,
1: you know? Yeah, I know like uh, sometimes those little videos that the club puts up on their page will yeah. pop up, and I'm like, man, this just feels like yesterday. Just like you said, you know,
0: it does. Eh? It's a snap of I remember. So I, I've just retired. I'm coaching second grade this year, but um, all right, yeah. You know, blink of an eye, mate, and it, like I remember playing my first first grade game, and then then that game, and then the se- the semi final the year after, and then. Which yeah, literally a blink of an eye, it just goes so it just, far. just yeah. flies, yeah, just flies, mate. Um, good, this memory. is awesome, this is awesome, mate. If you ever get back to Sydney or I get over to France, um, the beers are on me, definitely.
1: Oh, bro, looking forward to that for sure, man. Especially if I man. come
0: back home, I'll let you know I'm home. Have you been vaccinated yet?
1: I actually got um, the first one, my first one last week. How'd you feel? Yeah, pretty uh, just normal. Okay. Didn't feel any, any any symptoms at all. Was good.
0: I've heard just as many people say they felt good as they felt shit after. So yeah,
1: yeah. I've heard I've heard so many stories where they've they felt like they've had COVID after the vaccination and some weird cool. stories. Yeah, really as well. Yeah, just like feeling weak and feverish. Um, but all the ones that the players are having, apparently um the ones that we're having are really good. I don't know the differences exactly, but apparently the ones that we're having, no one's experiencing anything.
0: Okay. So you just don't do what you got to do, I guess. Until the world goes yeah. back to normal, man. Um, yeah. I'll let you go, brother. Great, great to talk, mate. This was awesome.
1: Yeah. Thank you, brother. It was awesome to see you. Awesome to you chat, too, man. man.
0: We'll all talk the best, soon. brother. Thank you, yeah. mate. You too. See you, bro. Catch you, bro. Bye.
1: Bye.